Hi, and welcome to the Flesh and Gold podcast. I'm Jen Beatty. For episode six, I have interviewed a woman named Tara from Tallahassee, Florida. And although our paths never crossed when I used to live there, I found her through Facebook, and I also found out that we share about 25 of the same close friends. The Sunday night after the International Night to Shine, which we'll explain a little later in the interview, I read a little bit about Tara's story online. Tara has a one-year-old baby boy, an adorable baby named Jesse, and Jesse has Down syndrome. One of the things I've learned over the last five years is that every special needs story, every child and every family, is unique and no two paths will ever look the same. However, there are definite themes that families with special needs children seem to share. Fear, heartbreak, feeling ill-prepared as a parent, but on the flip side, there's many positive sentiments as well, an entire shift in perspective, a greater appreciation and joy in things, and compassion. It is in this thread of compassion that Tara has decided to share her story. Not only is this interview super helpful in educating any and everybody about how you can celebrate the life of a child with special needs and encourage a family, this interview, I believe, will be such a resource for providing hope and understanding for anyone who has recently found out that they, too, are expecting a child with Down syndrome. So please feel free to pass this interview along. And just a little side note, Shans, a hospital in Gainesville, Florida that we mentioned, is about a two-hour drive from Tallahassee, Florida. To hear more interviews with some amazingly inspiring people and their walks through some serious challenges, you can visit the archive page on www.fleshandgold.com. And you can always like us on Facebook to stay up to date with new releases. Thank you, Tara, for sharing your story, and thank you for taking the time to listen. Hi, Jen. Thank you for agreeing um, to tell your story today. I'm real excited about it. Yeah, me too. Good. Well, I actually found you through about 20, 25 mutual friends we had in Tallahassee. <laughs> I saw your Facebook page, and um, when I saw that picture of Jesse and a little bit about what you wrote about him in your story, I found it very intriguing. So would you mind um, just sharing with us a little bit about who you are and where you live, your family? Sure, I'd love to. Um, um, my name's Tara Watson. My husband's Jamie. We have four kids, uh, two boys, two girls. Our oldest is 10, and then an 8-year-old, a 3-year-old, and now a 1-year-old. I taught fifth grade before I had kids. I was a teacher, so I homeschool um, full-time my 8-year-old, and I'm, my 10-year-old goes to UCLA, a partial homeschool in Tallahassee, Florida. So your 1-year-old son, Jesse, has Down syndrome. So would you first tell us how you found out that you were pregnant with Jesse? Okay, so um, after um, having three kids, I knew what it felt like to be um, pregnant, so we knew pretty soon, and we went to the prenatal checkup, and at nine weeks, and we saw um, the heartbeat, and everything was fine. He did think it was a little early, which I thought was kind of strange, but... Um, earlier than I thought I was, but everything looked good, and he recommended we go to the high-risk doctor because I was over 35, so we went, at 11 weeks, we went to the um, the high-risk doctor, and they noticed there was some fluid at the base of the spine in the ultrasound, 
and which could be a marker from for some genetic disorders, but they said they see it a lot, and sometimes it's nothing. It just goes the way, way up on its own. So we weren't too worried, and they did a, um, this new DNA test. They take some of my blood. They can figure out if there's any genetic disorders. They also can figure out if it's a boy or a girl because they're taking the DNA um, that early. So we um, they took the blood. We kind of left kind of not too upset because we – We've had other kids, everything seemed to be fine, and no one seemed to be too concerned, and there was there all the false positives of yeah. any kind of testing. And so we just went home and kind of just waiting here. And then I remember um, Monday morning, and it was a Monday around 9 a.m., because my son and my husband were gone because he was at school, and my husband was at work, and I had the one-year-old. Um, my daughter was one then, and my I was feeding her breakfast and kind of, I'm cleaning up, and my um, I was starting ho- getting going on homeschooling, and um, the phone rang, and it was the doctor. And he first thing he said was, "I have some bad news." And yeah. um, and, he, and then he said, uh-huh, uh, "Your test came back positive for Down syndrome." And I was here was like trying to process the news while managing my one year old and cleaning up breakfast and. And I remember, like, asking, are you sure? Like, I heard the tests aren't completely accurate. And yeah. he said, well, this was a new test. And he said, with your age and the fluid we saw, um, I would say it's probably at least 90% accurate. And then right after that, he goes, do you want to terminate? And I was kind of shocked. I was like, no, no. Um, I, I mean, I didn't even – was still processing what he just told me and – and then he was, um, he said, well, if you change your mind, he was, like, trying to get off the phone. And I was like, wait, I, I mean, can she, I remembered him saying he could find out the sex of the baby. I was like, is it a boy or a girl? And he didn't even know. I heard him, like, shuffling papers, and um, he was, oh, it's a boy. And then that was it, and he got off the phone, and I was uh, still like, what just happened? And yeah. very um, shocked, and, you know, and hearing him trying to, like, figure out all this and my kids are, you know, still trying to function with the day. We are cleaning up breakfast and then we're getting everything kind of settled and then calling my husband and telling him and he was had the same concerns about the accuracy of the test and we kind of just couldn't believe it. And we weren't really convinced and we didn't really know if it was, uh, I was just still kind of in shock and but he was more more like, well, you know, if, if it is to have Down syndrome, if we do have a child that has Down syndrome, then it will be um, fine because we've always liked those kids, so why wouldn't God give us a child with Down syndrome? He was more like yeah. matter of fact about it when I was more like, what? Like it was just yeah. shocking. And, and for, I would say, for after we got the news, for at least a week, I was, I mean, I'm almost, I'm ashamed to say it now, but I was devastated. I was totally devastated. I could not stop crying. I could not think about anything else. I was like in a state of depression. And yeah. and I, and you know, with the hormones, I was 11 weeks pregnant. I didn't feel the baby. I didn't feel this connection with the baby yet. I couldn't feel a move. It was just still felt like I had the stomach virus. Um, oh. It's never any stomach virus because, you know, you're in your first trimester still. And I really could feel like I could under, totally understand why people would, which I never would have before, but I could understand why people would um, have abortions or terminate their babies because it's like, a oh, this is just an easy fix, and it was so readily available. They're like, that, you know, oh, there's a problem with your baby. Do you want to terminate? 
And so I was, um, not that I would, I believe that God created each person for a purpose and they are special because God created them because I knew that I wouldn't do that, but I could understand if someone did not have that belief, it would totally make sense. Like, well, we'll just, you know, try again for another baby and maybe it'll be, you know, better outcome the next time or, you know, I could see how someone who didn't believe that it would be just like an easy fix to your problem. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be worried or anything. You can just have it terminated and the problem goes away. I mean, that was the first thing you said after I was asked if it was, if, if, and it was, it's not even 100% accurate, the test was, but, but I mean, it was, it was just, it was so available and it was, you know, that was like a solution that he had for me. Like, oh, here you go. You can terminate the pregnancy. So when um, did you find out, like, 100% you you switched doctors or you went to Shans? Well, we, well, we had, we waited. He wanted to schedule. They called and scheduled um, to look at the heart and, you know, do all that around 16 weeks because they said some of the times, um, especially with a baby that could possibly have Down syndrome, they have like 40 or 50% of them are born with heart defects. So they looked at the heart around 16 weeks, and um, our baby had a, uh, a hole in the heart that was called an 80 um, canal um, defect. We had that, which was very typical with a Down syndrome baby. So with that mm-hmm. defect, it was, I mean, it would have been very shocking if our baby did not have Down syndrome. In the meanwhile, after that week of my devastation and like depression, I started researching um, Down syndrome and like all the um, all kinds of things would pop up, and it was it really I, through my research and I I never had really any experience with a person close to me or that had Down syndrome, so I, I didn't know. It's just all these unknowns, but yeah, I just began to fall in love with them when I was researching them, and I even told my husband I was like. I think I would be disappointed if our baby did not have Down syndrome after <laughs> I was getting excited because it was all those especially videos. There's a lot of YouTube videos and encouraging things. And, I mean, it just seems like, I don't know, I was I was kind of getting excited about it. And um, when we went and looked at the heart defect, again, the doctor asked me after the heart defect, he was um, not encouraging at all. Like he was, he saw the heart defect, he said, yeah, mm-hmm that with a baby with Down syndrome or if you had a baby with Down syndrome, it, you might as well just get used to the punches. That's what he told me about their whole life. He said, there's always going to be health problems. And then he came and he asked me, do I want to terminate? And I was like, oh, my goodness, every problem, termination was the, the solution. And I, I hated that because, I mean, how can you become an overcomer? How can you, I mean, trials produce perseverance and yeah. perseverance character and character hope and I mean, how are you to grow as a person or to experience the triumph of overcoming anything and have that um, character building? uh, You just want to push away the problem. I mean, it's it's like if it's not convenient, let's just get rid of it kind of attitude. And I was was very shocked that it was so readily available and not even you didn't have, you didn't ask about it. They were asking you. Yeah. I I just thought I was, after we already told them no, (laughs) um, and they asked again. So, um, and that was not even the first time they were trying to finish the shams after that. And um, we finished our care, like my OB care in Gainesville, because we'd have to have the baby at shams. And um, and let me just say that shams is a much, I don't know, would you say larger? Well, it's hospital. It's, they have a special, there's no pediatric surgical team in 
Uh, house you see, you have to go to Gainesville to Shams, the hospital there, if your baby has any kind of heart problem. They said if we had them in Tallahassee, they would have to life-flight the baby to Shams. So we um, we'd have to go every week to Shams after that. Or not every week. We went once a month, and towards the end, we went every week. So obviously, you told your, you started telling your friends and family that uh, your baby was going to have Down syndrome. So what did you find helpful as far as people's reactions? I think this is so important to um, educate because we'll probably come into mm-hmm. contact ourselves. So what did you find helpful in their reactions? Well, I can tell you my favorite reactions were um, was when when in my research of Down syndrome, I emailed the, the Down syndrome association president and had all these questions and you know, their medical questions, how long will I be in the hospital? Is there any, you know, what about nursing? And all these, just all these technical questions. And she emailed back and I almost cried when I read it because I didn't even, um, I was so stuck on all the worries that she said, first, let me congratulate you on your baby boy. And I was like, mm. wow, I had, that was the first time I was congratulated. Like, I'm having a baby boy. Like, it was, yeah. um, all the worries, it was like, I was, it, it made me stop and realize I need to celebrate this new life and this is a baby boy and that's something so nice and familiar and, um, normal. And so, um, it reminded me that I need to like celebrate it and congrats. So to be congratulated on my baby boy meant so much to me instead of like, oh, I'm so sorry, like on your, you know, and, um, and then she, you know, she talked about the different things and, but it was, it just made me stop. And then um, another friend of mine, she um, said, the first thing when I told her that I was having a baby, which we didn't tell a whole lot of people at first, she, she said, oh, I can't wait to snuggling. They're so snuggly. And I was like, oh, Aww. it was so fun to have somebody um, excited about even having a baby with Down syndrome. Like, she was excited because they were snuggly. <laughs> and so... Um, I remember that, like, they stick out in my mind as being like, oh, they were excited for me. Like, it was it was an exciting thing for them, and they were congratulating me. So, and I don't know if I would have done that. I wouldn't have known to do that except for being on the yeah. part of it. So, um, Neil, I know, like, you need to be congratulated. Whatever the diagnosis or whatever, um, anything, it's a baby, and always yeah. celebrate life. So you got yeah. moved over to Shands, um, and you were told that you had to finish, you know, the rest of your OB appointments at Shands. Would you explain a little bit about the latter portions of your pregnancy and some of the challenges you found that there? Well, um, I felt totally normal my whole pregnancy. I mean, not normal. You feel pregnant, but it was compared to my other pregnancies, it wasn't any different. Um, I didn't feel quite as big. That was the only thing, and the movement wasn't quite as active as the other mm-hmm. ones. I could still move, but not as active. But um, the end of my pregnancy, um, I remember it was April Fool's Day. It was April 1st. I went to my OB appointment. Everything was fine, and then at the very, it was the ultrasound, the very last thing they did, I had, like, barely any fluids, which was totally unrelated to any diagnosis or anything. It was just a random just everything with Jesse from that point on was just totally unexpected. I began to expect the unexpected. The amniotic fluid was low, and he was actually laying on his cord, and it was stopping his heart. Like, um, his heart rate would drop. So they admitted me to the hospital, which I was not thinking. I was 36 weeks. So, and all my other babies, or my last two babies, were late. 
so I've never actually gone into labor, and they always yeah. had to induce me, so I was um, not expecting to go um, early, and they, they admitted me to the hospital. I had, like, no bag packed or anything, and it was really hard for me because the um, I'm, I don't leave my kids, like my other three kids. Like, they don't spend the night away from home. It's like it was really hard to leave my kids, and that was, like, one of my biggest fears of being in the hospital, and here I was, and I didn't come back for turned out a long time but um um but it was okay like it was totally okay I was um worried and it was hard but it, it was fine so I stayed in the hospital for a week on the monitor and then it got to be where he was on his he was on the cord more and more and he was on the cord for more than five minutes and his heart rate was low and they would do emergency c-section so it was really stressful, and so they decided they wanted the baby to grow more because it would be better for his heart if he came out bigger. So they were mm-hmm. kind of keeping him in until 39 weeks, but he, he was getting on the cord so much that they were scared he wouldn't make it and it was getting dangerous. So how many weeks pregnant were you when you delivered, Jesse? I was 37 weeks when they decided to induce me, so it was a week um, in the hospital in the labor delivery, which the nurses were awesome. It was when it's a real God thing, and the whole time during my hospital stay, this is the verse that, like, helped me, and it was, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So, I would look for those things, because I was getting depressed, you know, away from my kids, my baby was in danger. <laughs> And so yeah. I think, oh, and the, nur- the nurses were one of the best things. God gave me the best nurses, and Jesse, the best nurses. They were awesome. So Jesse was delivered by C-section, right? Yes, my first C-section. <laughs> okay, and tell me a little bit about those initial few weeks. You're still at Shands, away from your family. So tell me a little bit about your um, experience there. So after he was born, we was, went to the NICU, and he stayed there for two and a half weeks. He had um, he needed some oxygen. He wasn't eating well enough to gain weight. Uh, he came out really small. He was four pounds, fifteen ounces when he came, and they wanted him to gain weight before they did. They did the open heart surgery, which they were planning. They wanted to do between two to six months old. They want him as big as they can get because they do better during surgery. And he wasn't eating very much and um, not gaining weight. He also had low blood platelets and jaundice and a lot of things. So we were there for two and a half weeks after he was born. So three and a half weeks total away from the family. Um, they did come and see him a couple times. And so we finally got home from the hospital. And they said it's kind of like congestive heart failure until he gets his heart fixed and he'll mm-hmm. slowly decline. And so when he got home, it was it was a real struggle to get him to gain weight. It was really, I was so thankful to be home and be with my family, but it was really stressful time because he wouldn't eat, and he was getting where he was eating less and less, and his um, breathing was getting more labored, like, after he would eat, and that sounds terrifying. Yeah, it was, it was really, I, I had, at one point, um, I had my um, alarm set every hour, 24 hours a day, to feed him on the hour to get him to feed because he couldn't eat very much at once. Oh, my goodness. So, I was exhausted. <laughs> so he would eat only like 10 um, milliliters at a time if I could get him to do that. And he just was slowly declining. So June 6th, he admitted us to the hospital, and they put a feeding tube in him. 
because they said he was spending more calories eating than he was um, getting the calories. So just because of his heart, the hole in his heart is, is pumping inefficiently. So at two months, Jesse's back in the hospital, and um, you're waiting for him to gain weight until he can have his heart surgery. Yes. So we were there with just the feeding tube until he had his heart surgery, and they had a date for him at the end of June for his heart surgery. He ended up having um, a fever probably about 10 minutes before he was supposed to go into um, <laughs> into um, into surgery. The doctor, the surgeon came in. He's like, this is the probably the, the latest I've ever had a surgery canceled. So that mm. was stressful. And um, so we had our original surgery date was um, July 11th, which he ended up having his, his open heart surgery on July 11th. And I kind of thought like, oh, we have our open heart surgery. His heart's sick. We'll um, get that feeding tube out. We'll go home and we'll be here for maybe a couple weeks at the most. Um, so I stayed with him um, in the hospital and lived in the hospital with him from June 6th until we ended up getting out at the end of August. And my husband and my dad would switch staying at the Ronald McDonald house because um, my husband had to work. <laughs> and yeah. fortunately, my dad was retired, so he would come and stay with me when, when my husband was gone. We didn't leave him you know, alone in the hospital yeah. by himself. So on July 11th, Jesse was finally um, strong enough, healthy now, no fever, to have his heart surgery. So um, how did that go? Well, the heart surgery was, it was repaired, but the surgeon said that the hole was pretty big and he was so tiny that um, and he was pretty sick going into surgery. He just didn't have a lot. He was, the, his valves were leaky, which is infected, but he didn't know if they were leaking too much, but he might have to go back in. So they, they leave, and this is totally normal, but they leave the chest open on little babies so the swelling can go down before they close it so it doesn't take pressure on the heart so and so they left his chest open he had a surgery on Monday I think it was Friday before they ended up closing it because he was worried he would have to go back in because he didn't do very well after surgery he went into shock he wouldn't be still Jesse was really hard to sedate he would not stop moving after his open heart surgery with his chest mm -hmm. open and his chest tubes got clogged and his pressures got all out of whack we went in a couple times and there's like 20 people in the room, and it was really scary, and we had to go back out in the waiting room. And the doctors were so great and awesome, and Dr. Blywise, who did the surgery, is amazing. So um, it was kind of a hard week after that, and we were glad that he made it and he found and, uh, his tubes out. But he was so um, wiggly, they had to get him this drug that made him paralyzed. So they call it, the, the nurses said it's, they call it like the baby dog drug because they look like they're a baby dog. They can't even blink. I mean, they put this Vaseline on their eyeballs. And mm -hmm. that, to me, that was the worst possible time because I couldn't hold him. I mean, for me, not being able to move, like he just is awake but wouldn't be able to move and how scary that would be. And it was like he wasn't there to look at the pressures to see if they're in pain. Like if his blood pressure goes up, they can go, well, he might probably use pain medicine. And he just was real wiggly and that's the only way they could get him to not move so his body could heal. We stayed at the Ronald McDonald. I mean, that was the only time I didn't stay with him because pretty much the lights were on all night long and people were in there and just so I could get some sleep. You also said that um, this, in your whole journey, um, you said walking in and seeing him paralyzed, like you said, but awake. That was kind of, would you say that was the lowest of your lows? Yes. 
Yes, I re- yes, it was definitely. I remember my um, my husband and I, we were just so, I don't know if stress would even be the best word for it, but just worried and just kind of, and there's nothing you can do but pray. And I don't know why, but, but you know, it's always embarrassing to cry in front of people. And we were in the hospital. My son was like having you know, terrible thing, all these doctors were in, and I'm, like, embarrassed to cry. But I went outside, and I just wanted to be by myself. And I sat on the bench outside the hospital, and um, and I, I just felt like God was right there with me, and it was the most peace I felt. Like, it was just, I just sat there. I still remember, like, it was circumstances where, I mean, my son was, I was away from everybody, like my family was in Tallahassee, my son was in the the hospital room with about 20 people, and they're trying to, pressures were going crazy, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I felt like God was there, and I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew it was going to be okay, because God was with me, and he would walk, whatever, I mean, I had like no hope, like as far as, but I, just the hope that I had in, in Jesus and that he was with me no matter what happened and that he was in charge. It was not the doctors. It was not me. I couldn't do anything about it, but I wasn't alone and that whatever he had planned was the best plan and he was saying, do you trust me? And, and I had to trust him. And was he trustworthy? Yes. Did he love me? Yes. And so I just would I felt like all that, and I just felt at peace. I was like, I can't do anything. I'm just going to just pray and sit here and trust in God. And I, didn't, and I remember that was such a such a special moment that I would never have had. And I kind of carry it and think about it with other circumstances when I get worried. I'm like, oh, because I trust God. Yes, I do. No matter what happens, I trust Him, and I know that He knows what's best. It's just hard to say when your son's like on the, you know, having such a hard time, but that was, um, a big, a big moment for me. That's so good. And I I find it fascinating how, um, multiple people who, when they tell their stories, I, I love the, um, the marriage between like your lowest moment and your most helpless moment and the darkest hour. And yet the presence of the Lord is so strong and, um, how people a lot of times say what you said to me is that, when things stabilize, you almost miss that intimacy that you felt with the Lord. Yeah, definitely, because you don't feel it as strongly. And you have to go back to remember, he just had his first birthday, and I went back and I read what I wrote, and it reminded me, I'm like, oh, wow, I forgot how bad off it was and how God really was there. Like, And kind of missed almost that closeness I had with God and that dependency I had. So before you tell us um, how Jackie recovered, I want you to go back to that story you told me um, where you had been in the hospital away from friends and um, really, really, truly isolated in, in this limbo. And so tell me a little bit about the story with the fireworks. Jamie and I, my husband and I, we hadn't, um, we, we couldn't really be together except in the hospital room with Jesse because one of us would be in the hospital room and then one would go run errands. I felt very lonely because if I went for a walk, it was by myself and I didn't really have any friends in Gainesville and we kind of, at that point, we were waiting for surgery and we didn't want him to have another fever so we didn't want any visitors and 
it was a lonely time and I'm a people person and and I miss being like taking walks with somebody or talking to people and so we had a nurse one night, we were her only um patient and she said, I really want to hold a baby and it was July third and I was and Jamie was leaving the next day to go home and take the kids to see fireworks, which I was really devastated I was gonna miss. That's the kind of thing that I love holidays and spend it with my family. And it was one more thing I was going to miss with my kids. I was kind of bummed that he was leaving and I was by myself again. And the the nurse, she's like, I just want to hold, I just want to hold the baby. So I was like, well, if you hold him, maybe we could go for a walk because he's leaving tomorrow. And this was um, Sunday night on July 3rd. And so we walked out of um, Shannon's hospital. We're just walking, and we see all these people walking. So we're like, let's follow them. Where are they going? And they, we ended up walking to a fireworks show. That was, um, and we got there, and it started as soon as we got there. So it was absolutely perfect timing. So we got to see fireworks. And I wasn't by myself. I was with my husband. It was really, really special. And then we, um, we, and it wasn't even on July 4th. So it was a day early, and we got back and I was like, we just saw fireworks and it was after being in the hospital and I mean, I would go days without even going outside because we're on the 10th floor and just, yeah. just walk outside and um, so it was it was really special and I really was like, thank you God, thank you for letting me see fireworks. It was probably the most, uh, I was so appreciative of, you know, being able to see them even though I didn't get to spend it with my family and they went and saw it the next night but it wasn't as sad as I would have been because I saw them the night before. That was really special. That story just gets me every time. Um, so let's go back now to Jesse had his heart surgery. Uh, he's, he had this paralysis medicine. So pick up there, and could you walk us through his recovery? Okay, so he um, finally was able to be off the, um, the paralytic drug, and he came off, and he was doing great. And they were weaning him off the, all the medicine, and he was on a lot of sedation, too, because it was so hard to sedate. So they were weaning him off of sedation and his heart medicine, and then he started having seizures, which that was not fun. So he had, Was that to I be expected? Never, no, no. I mean, it just, it, sometimes it's more common, and um, people with Down syndrome have more prone to seizures, but no, this was, in fact, this surgery... Um, they told us originally it was like the bread and butter surgery because they do it so often and it's kind of, you know, you're there for two weeks and they fix the heart. It's easy as far as open heart surgeries. It wouldn't be too complicated. It's not a heart transplant and it's not, you know, multiple defects in one. It's just one defect. They can fix it and you go home. And they said the hardest part was getting them to eat afterwards. So nothing went as planned. We started having seizures, and he was on seizure medicine, and then he continued to have seizures as they weaned him off. So then they started weaning him extremely slowly off of everything. It was really slow. So it took forever to um, get weaned off of the heart medicine, the sedation. So he had his heart closed on, I think it was the, the Friday after his Monday surgery. Yeah. And then closed his heart, then took him off the paralytic drug. He finally, we were able to go home with an NG feeding tube because he wouldn't eat. So we were at the hospital from June 6th solid until the end of August. So we had to go back in October to get a G tube put in. Now tell me um, about how the community really made so much of your absence 
possible. I just I think that's incredible. So just tell me some roles that the community played that allowed you really to just survive this. It was amazing. Uh, we had people bringing meals to my husband and kids. Um, while I was in the hospital. We had um, people taking my kids places, and I mean they had a great summer. <laughs> They did all kinds of fun things. <laughs> so I was so worried about them that day, and that was one of my top concerns was my kids. They really thrived. It was a really good experience for them um, to be away from me, being independent. They um, got to experience a lot of different activities they probably wouldn't have otherwise, and being with all these uh, their friends and people. And um, it was very touching to me, like people that, Take care of my family while I was not there, and um, just sending things in the mail, you know, to the hospital for us, and letters, and get people would come and visit. I had girlfriends come and do a girls' night one night and took me to dinner. I mean, little things, and those are the things that I don't know what, how I would have survived, which I know I would have survived, but it's just, just little. Like little gifts that helped me through it, and the prayer. Oh my goodness. I know, like, I feel like prayer really kept me in this bubble the whole time. I just I just, I just felt them. I know that sounds weird, but I no, felt yeah. the prayers. That's something that I really coveted and appreciated the whole time with Jesse. So October, Jesse comes home. Um, he has a G-tube. How did it go from there? After he got his G-tube and he had got the NG tube, which is the feeding tube that was through his nose out, he did so much better with eating, and he started thriving. We started eating more during the day, so we just we feed him through the G tube at night, and he started using his hands more because we had socks on his hands because he would pull out his um, tube in his nose, which I never thought I would be good at putting one of those things in a baby, <laughs> but I could put a feeding tube in through his nose like a champ towards the end. Mm. But so we didn't have to worry about that um, after his G-tube was in because he's way harder to pull out. So with the G-tube, he was able to eat better. He was able to um, be more mobile. He started really taking off after that, and we're not quite on the growth curve yet. So that's good. So as far as his physical health, um, as a one-year-old, what would you say? We go to physical therapy once a week. We go to occupational therapy once a week and speech therapy, which is for feeding the mouth muscles, twice a week. So we have four therapies every week. Our physical therapist says that as far as his gross motor skills, he's totally developmentally right where he's supposed to. He's pulling up. He's cruising around, I mean, which is typical for a one-year-old that doesn't have Down syndrome mm. low muscle tone. And, I mean, other things are coming, but I know they'll come, and just, you know, the timing of it. And but he's doing great. He is the most happy baby I've had yet. I told the kids that he's the best one yet. He sleeps good, and he's, um, <laughs> and he's really happy all the time, and he loves everyone. So they, they know I'm joking, but I'm kind of not because he really he's pretty tough to go through all that. Um, and he's definitely the favorite of our house. He just is amazing, all the things he's been through, and he can, he smiles at everything. It's just such a joy. So when you look back, what are some of the key things that you, you learned and carry with you from that season? Well, I learned that through suffering that it almost, like, enhances your joy. I have learned to have a much more grateful heart 
I enjoy things I took for granted before. Our health, I, I did not understand how fragile a person's health could be. And I just took having healthy babies and my health for granted. But really the main thing is that through suffering is joy. It just enhances the joy that comes later. The joy in the morning that they talk about, I mean, it's there. You have to get through the night first, but there's joy in the morning. And Mm. it is better than the joy it was the morning before. And I think with a parent that has a child with a disability, they have like a special gift of that joy. You appreciate things so much more than I did before. I didn't appreciate a lot of things, and now it just takes such delight in, and I feel like the love you have is more pure, and your life are more full, and I would not regret anything that, I mean, this was such a hard, such a hard time that I would do it all over again um, Mm. to experience what I have now. Tell me about Jesse personally, how he has brought just such joy to your family. Oh, he is the best experience I could ever have for my kids as far as a life skill, like having a, a brother with a disability and have to be in the hospital so long. I mean, I couldn't, those are things that they are learning and have learned, things I could not teach them. It's just, just life experience. And they love him. And there's just some special connection that Jesse has with each one of my kids that is unique and is so fun to watch. I don't think they could ever get upset with him. I mean, I'm sure they will eventually, but right now it seems like he can do no wrong, and he loves him. He's just joyful. He's definitely the most popular guy in the house, so I can't imagine our life without him. I love that. I love that. And then um, the first time I actually talked to you was days after Night to Shine, and if you're listening and you don't know what Night to Shine is, Night to Shine is a, a prom that um, churches internationally now put on for people with special needs. And it's just a fantastic experience. I personally went to one this year as my first time, and honestly, it was it kind of blew my mind a little bit. So I was never part of the special needs community, honestly, before my daughter. And I know you said the same thing with Jesse. So tell me a little bit about how Night to Shine, what that meant to you and your family. Oh, it is the best prom ever. It was it was amazing. I um I felt like it was kind of like how people should be and how heaven is probably like. The red carpet was my favorite. I think I talked to you about it with when each um, person comes in on a, the red carpet and they have the paparazzi, which are the volunteers clapping and cheering, and the one in Tallahassee had the FSU cheerleaders there and. As they come out and they walk with their fancy dresses at the red carpet and have everyone cheering for them, um, the, just the look on their faces. I mean, it was it was so fun. They they loved it and the whole prom was such an amazing event and I was so excited to be a part of it and that I was excited that you know one day Jesse could be a part of it and just the community that put it together was I mean it was just such an awesome way to serve and to to just experience the joy of that community, and I love being a part of it, and I'm definitely getting my whole family involved in it. So as someone who has walked definitely the harder road um, as a parent with special needs, I mean, there's many 
children with Down syndrome born that don't have heart surgeries and don't need it. And, and the ones that do, like you said, it's just not as complicated and complex. So as somebody who has walked the hardest place with just your whole experience from being encouraged over and over again to terminate to just the complications during pregnancy and these extended stays in the hospital away with nothing in your control. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's just been the hardest scenario. I want you to talk to, though, like, if there's a woman out there who found out that she was pregnant with a child with special needs, you have the ability, Tara, to just really speak into that, I think, in a way that that nobody else can. So what would you say to her? I would say that every child has a purpose and has a hope and has a future. And what I learned was to say, trust God, lean on him in every in every turn and he promises and he doesn't lie he promises that your child has a future and a hope and and a purpose so you are you are a special person to have have the job of being this child's mother and it is going to be so worth it because like I said the the joy that comes from suffering is beyond anything you can um, imagine and, and it will be okay. I know the, um, does it feel like it's going to be okay? But it will be okay because God there with you and you can trust in him and he loves you. It's so good. Thank you. And before we close, do you just have, um, you, you did share one, but do you have any particular passages of scripture or scriptures that, that have become yours that you'd like to share? My favorite is, is really Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It's for I know the, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And so that was that's what I, I know about Jesse from the moment he was born. Or he was a little deck, like he has a hope, he has a future, and that's a promise. The plans are to prosper us, it's not to harm us. So I've, I've really held on to that verse, even though, I felt like it was hard and it was suffering, but there's good things to come. So, um, and I know like some people suffer a lot longer than I do, but I know that God gives you the grace um, that you need for the moment. And I never thought I would be able to do what I did this past summer and that God just gives you the grace you need when you need it. So, Tara, you have been such a gift to share your story and to share Jesse. He is the cutest. So just to see pictures of him, go to um, www.fleshandgold.com. I'll have a bunch of little pictures of Jesse and Tara. And I just want to thank you for, um, you are a busy mom. Time is gold. And I just thank you for taking the time to prepare this, to be vulnerable, and to be brave. So thank you, Tara. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thanks.